I'm Lemuel, Repentant Sinner, and this is Amity, your Heavenly Host, and you're welcome to our Ecumenical Sunday School Picnic Without Works. Welcome to our first episode. Before we get started, I wanted to address something briefly, and that is timing and the news cycle. We would love to be putting out these episodes more often, but while we are growing, consistency is the focus. In that spirit, we may be speaking about things that happened quite a while ago. Our news cycle is now at what feels like about an eight-hour turnaround, and we aren't able to get out our responses as quickly as we would like. But we feel that the information and opinion remains relevant even as these issues dip back out of the news cycle. So we will endeavor to keep things updated and relevant, but we can't be a daily show. So some items will be dealt with quite a while after they first appear in the news. With that in mind, what are we discussing this week? The theme for today is the Bible. What is it? What isn't it? And how should it be used? Before we get there, there's another segment we're going to introduce. I would like to introduce a segment that going forward we will call cannon fodder. So cannon fodder is people who we think have done something significant enough to where they should be considered for their good works. We don't think they will actually become a saint. (laughs) But this could be the first step on their way. Let's start with why we're calling it canon fodder. Uh What is the canon? The canon is a process of canonization, uh, which is the final step of becoming a saint in the Catholic Church. All right? The first thing you have to do is you have to be dead for five years. So we're mostly going to be talking about living people in the news. And once the five years are up, a bishop of a diocese where the person died opens an investigation to the person's behavior to see if they lived a good life and if they were a good servant. All right? So that happens. They investigate you, make sure that there's no sort of shady things in your past. Step three is they have to prove that your life was a life of heroic virtue, that you just went from good thing to good thing. Not just good. No, heroic. No, no, you can't rest on your laurels. You have to constantly be doing good things. And then the step that's the most controversial for a lot of modern people is that you need a verified miracle. A verified? I thought it was three. Well, they've sort of taken that number down because they realize it's... <laughs> yeah, some... because verified miracles, fucking hard to come hard by, to come y'all. By, but some people can manage them, and there are people who've performed verified miracles where they're like, yeah, there's enough witnesses, there's been enough investigation. There is a old pope laying in state in... St. Paul's Cathedral, who has not rotted it. Right, there we go. Sometimes you just don't decompose. And then step five is canonization, where they go, okay, you've passed all the other steps. You're now going to be, well, first you're beatified, and then you're canonized, and you become a saint. So what we're doing is not that. Not that. That's a long process. It takes years. We are but two people. We are two people, and we don't have really beautiful hats. Speak for yourself. I've got a cool hat. I do not have any hats. I don't like them. Well, and also, you have like a head that does not quite, like it's between hat sizes. I have a very small head. But even when I was a baby, I didn't want a hat on it. So, so once again, these are people I who I guess I think, can't be a head in the church. Also, I'm a lady. <laughs> well, that's got to work on that one. So I'm going to speak about Candace Payne. I'm going to say her name because I saw several uh, articles where Chicago woman was what was in the headline, Mm. which, you know, that's fine. But her name is Candace Payne. And what she did was during the severe cold snap this winter in Chicago, 
She contacted several hotels until she found 30 rooms available at Amber Amber Inn, and she booked 30 of them and put the homeless in them. She just went out and went, this is what my budget is. That's $2,100 or so, $70 per room, right? She found 30 rooms. She paid for it on a credit card, and then she asked via Instagram for anybody who could help transport homeless people. She had caravans of cars and SUVs, volunteer drivers. They met at a tent city, and on the side of the expressway, she says, it's not a secret. The homeless have been living there for years, and she asked as many people as she could to go with her and get inside so that they didn't freeze to death because it was in the negative 40s. Like, it was literally deathly cold. Wow. She's just a woman right. living her life and realizing that a bunch of people are going to die and there's something that she could do about it. Right. That is horrifying. It's horrifying because we're, as, as we're speaking right now, what, a mile away, maybe? Between yes. us and, yeah, I think it's a mile. Within almost, a mile. Of, of uh, our local BART station here, the transit station, there are at least two homeless camps. Yes. And one of them was recently torn down in the middle of... The bad weather. You know, California had been in a drought for seven years. It's recently come out of that drought thanks to months of continuous rain now. And there were people evicted from what little shelter they had in the middle of those storms. And you wound up seeing people wandering in doorways, people wandering under overpasses. And then two days later, the tent city was back. There's no solution for the situation that doesn't involve a lot of action. But it should be government action, not the action of individual no. people. Yeah, so it ballooned up to her spending about $4,700. Um, mm-hmm. She also got toiletries and things right. for them and food. She also ended up getting near $10,000 in donations wow. to offset the costs and to keep paying through because the, the cold lasted longer than right. one night. It does. That's how it works. And she says, her quote is, I am a regular person. It all sounded like a rich person did this, but I'm just a little black girl from the South Side. I thought it was unattainable, but after seeing this and seeing people from all around the world, that just tells me it's not unattainable. We can all do this together. So she wants to organize other other ways to help homeless people in Chicago. I don't envy homelessness in Chicago. Like, we, we have a lot of homeless here because it is... It is never easy to be homeless. It yeah. is easier to be homeless in California. Yeah. The weather will probably not kill you. What's been found to be true time and time again, the mm-hmm. way to fix the homelessness problem, the way to keep somebody from being homeless is to house them. Right. If you give someone a place to live, they can. Right typically find a way to keep it. Now, what we found, and I remember describing this to a Lyft driver that I had the other night, and he was unaware of the situation. He had passed the, the homeless encampment, you know, that's about a mile away from here. And I told him how really sad it was to see people get up dressed for work coming out of that camp. Absolutely. He was not aware of this. It's like, they're what? No, 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 no. These, there, there are actual families, and there are people there who get up in the morning dressed College to to work. degrees and right. full-time jobs. And they right. cannot pay to live in the city that they work in. Right. And that includes teachers. Yeah. Hey, y'all, that includes teachers. That's real. Yeah. I would not be able to live in the Bay Area anymore if not for the grace of this house. It is obscene what we are charging to live uh-huh. in a place that is great, but that is standard of living mm-hmm. is being propped up by people who are in these homeless encampments. It really feels like, specifically in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. the bubble is going to happen. It might be like a giant earthquake. Yeah. When all of these 
the highest of the high rises mm-hmm. and the newest of the condos and the beachfront property is gone because mm-hmm. the earth took it back. And then suddenly we'll be able to pay rent again. You know, what we're describing is, is pretty horrible for anybody, but I'm really applauding this woman for doing something. Candace Payne, I'll say her right. name again. The person I'm choosing is Mark William Pocan, who is a politician who is serving the U.S. House of Representatives, and he's representing Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District. And he came to my attention when he was questioning Betsy DeVos, who is... The devil? Oh, no. (laughs) She she is the current serving Secretary of Education. Who, in presenting a budget to the House of Representatives... Had cut the entire budget for Special Olympics. Uh, Which is, I was trying to find a way of articulating that in a way that didn't sound horrible, but there isn't. And it wasn't just the Special Olympics. It was several other programs for handicapped people, for services for the blind. Right. Um, Well, because special... And Special Olympics mm -hmm. isn't just the Special Olympics that happen in in conjunction with the quote-unquote regular Olympics. Mm -hmm. It's also a program in like a thousand schools Mm -hmm. to integrate those with intellectual and developmental disabilities into regular curriculum mm-hmm. and alongside neurotypical students. Yeah. So that they're not ostracized and put in a special ed room and nobody ever sees them or thinks about Right. It's about integration and actually giving them a better quality of life than they would be if they were separated. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh-huh. making other people, so those neurotypical people, making them see these people, yeah. interact with these people, and understand that these people are, you know, Not stigmatize people. these people. Yes. So um, I saw him questioning Betsy DeVos, and she was, and it's, it's one of the things that irritates me the most about the representatives of this administration is how often they're smiling when they're telling you something really horrible. Yes. And so she was smiling through her explanation. She was refusing to answer his direct questions. And kept doing, I, I think, she's done it often enough to where I want to call a Conway after Kellyanne Conway, which is never answering your question, but answering a question you didn't ask. Yes. And he did not let her do that. He kept pushing, going, okay, you're not answering my question, so I'm going to reclaim my time because I'm asking you, do you know how many people are going to be denied services based on this decision? And she was of the idea that the private sector is going to take care of it. Yes. But we can't trust the private sector to take care of everything. The private sector is not responsible. Right. And right. not just the private sector, but the private sector through philanthropy. Mm-hmm. It's the same as going, you don't need insurance because you can start a GoFundMe. Right. It is, that is not no. how we should be taking care of each other. And the fact that you actually are relying on that, that's some socialist thought right yeah. there. So, in this case... So, she may not have been answering the questions because she just simply did not know the answer to them. Right. But she kept changing it, saying, let me address the larger question. And he was like, no, I'm going to reclaim my time because you obviously cannot answer my question. Yeah, I didn't ask you the larger question. I asked you the question posed. The direct question. Yes. And he did not let it go. He sunk his teeth and he didn't let it go. Now, Mr. Pocan, he fought for it. And his motivation partly was that he had two autistic nephews and he wanted to know why they're going to fall behind because somebody's denying them services. Right. Somebody's denying that. And it, again, was not just Special Olympics. He listed a number of services that were going to be denied or changed or their funding was going to be taken away because of that. 
And yes, because the mm-hmm. education budget for the country was presented with seven billion with a B mm-hmm. dollars in cuts. Seven billion dollars yeah. taken from education in this country. You know what our country can't afford? Seven billion dollars from education. That's right. what our country well, cannot afford the, right now. What it does is it creates it perpetuates a system where some people can get an education, some people can't, some people get health care, some people can't. The people who can't afford an education get to do those rotten jobs that nobody wants to do. Right, or and, they turn to crime. Right, right exactly, and it perpetuates. And then they get to go ahead and be slaves. Right. So, but going back to Mr. Pokan, he didn't let it go, and he made sure that that information was dragged out in public light. So much so that I believe it was a direct influence on the perception of what Betsy DeVos was doing, and again, Trump himself stepped in, which wasn't saying that he'd done a good thing. I think it was just him hurting his public image because he was aware of how bad this looked. Again, maybe I'm yeah, denying him and, and a sliver of humanity, but I think it was gonna, a perception issue. This is going to be a tricky mm-hmm. time thing because mm-hmm. here's a pro- also a problem with an administration who lies and us in pre-production. Since that, since Trump came mm-hmm. out and said, we're not going to do these cuts, right. the Secretary of Education and the Education Department has come back and said, we didn't propose these cuts in the first place. The White House did. Right. Okay. So now it's going to be a he said, he said, she said, they said. Fundamentally, it looks like they're walking back these particular cuts. Right. But yes, we need more people like this gentleman to ask direct questions and require direct, direct responses. And so I didn't know much about him. You know, I went on to find out that he's openly gay. He um, Wisconsin. Right. I like when okay, this is gonna sound reductive. I enjoy an openly gay politician from the middle of the country because as a liberal elitist on the West Coast, I don't know how open the middle of the country is and it's still closed in a lot of places. So it makes me glad that all of our openly gay politicians and people in prominence aren't only in the quote-unquote blue areas of the country. Well, there's only three LGBT members of the uh, Wisconsin legislature. So it's still a tiny minority. He actually became politically active after being assaulted with a baseball bat coming out of a gay bar. Oh, Jesus. He was a victim of a gay bashing. They were calling him names, hit him, you know. Mm -hmm. So then he became active to defend the rights of people whose rights were not being defended. So that happens. But I appreciate the fact that he went after, like we said, went after it. He stayed after it. He was not going to let people, because he understands what it's like to be underrepresented. Right. So there we go. Heroic virtue to this gentleman. I hope he goes on having an illustrious career. Mark Pocan uh, from Wisconsin. Married the, to Philip Franks in 2006. Right. Congratulations, gentlemen. And yes, and I hope he lives a long and wonderful life and that he make, continues making choices, defending the voices of people who aren't heard. Yeah, this guy, I like this guy. I'm, I'm reading some of his quotes in the news. Yeah. He's also on the side of climate. Right. Things we can't ignore. We can't ignore things and we can't ignore people. Right. Not necessarily the good news, where we're pulling from the news and ripping it apart. Yes. <laughs> Based on... The good news, as it used to be called. 
Is that the Bible or the gospel Christianity? Word gospel means the good news. Oh, okay, great. New York Magazine article dated January 28th, 2019 by Sarah Jones called Trump so passionate about Bible literacy that he wants it taught in public schools. I guess our big subject is the Bible. What is it? So in regards to Trump's tweet, the original tweet, which dates to January 28th, numerous states introducing Bible literacy classes, giving students the option of studying the Bible, starting to make a turn back. Great. That's his actual tweet. So I'm here to talk about why that might not be such a great idea, and then to explain to people what a Bible is. Well, let's start with that and then do the why it's not a great idea to put it in schools for the layperson to try and teach. Okay, well, because first of all, the Bible can be misinterpreted, as we know, by people. Right. It's misinterpreted all the time to mean the wildest and strangest things. And also by the people who proclaim to have read and understand right. it. And there are people who claim to, to have read it and, and, and obviously haven't or don't understand a word it's saying. My concern is that if you make this mandatory and people are teaching it in public schools, teachers, I mean, think about sex education classes. You wind up getting taught by the coach. Is that really who you want teaching your sex education class? Now, let me be clear. <laughs> uh-huh. Per this article, right. nothing is going to be mandatory. All right. There are several states with legislation coming in. Specifically, we'll talk about the Indiana law. Republican legislators have proposed a bill that would allow public schools to offer Bible classes as an elective and would, according to Fox News, according to New York Magazine, allow school boards to require, quote, that schools offer various theories concerning the origin of life, including creation science. I just have a problem with those last two words together. We'll we'll discuss that. In Florida, Democratic legislator, who I don't want to give any more credence to right now, has introduced a bill that would require schools to offer world religions elective in addition to several elective Bible courses. Both the Indiana and Florida bills include disclaimers that the Bible courses must be taught in an objective manner, which is meant to head off concerns that if the classes, if implemented, would violate the First Amendment requirement that church and state remain separate. (laughs) So nowhere we're talking about mandatory Bible classes. I just want to be clear on that. But let's start at the beginning. Okay. There was the Word, and the Word was God. Very good. I like that. I can do this, too, sometimes. (laughs) So the word Bible itself Uh comes directly from Middle English via Old French, from Ecclesiastical Latin Biblia, from Greek Biblia, books. The Bible just means the book. That's what the word itself means. What is the Bible? The first misconception (laughs) is that the Bible is a book. It's actually quite a few books written over a very long period of time, Since we can't really date when it started, we don't know how long a period of time that was. And are we talking about the New and Old Testaments? New and Old Testament together was... Each made up of uh what are called books. Right. The Bible that you'd probably be the most familiar with, which would be just a a Protestant King James Bible, is 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. 
it'll be a little bit different in Catholic churches and some of the other Orthodox churches will have more because they'll include what's called the Apocrypha. The Bible that you're probably going to find in a hotel room. I was going to say, it's the hotel Bible. The hotel Bible that used to be spread by the Gideons. They would put Bibles in a hotel room so that people in moments of doubt and reflection could open up that Bible and see all sorts of different alternatives for the horrible things they were about to do alone away from their husbands and wives and families. Is that really why they did it? That was the reason why they did it. Fascinating. Explaining what the Bible is, it's a number of books. So we shouldn't take it all as one comprehensive volume. Uh, They don't have a particular theme. There are historical books. There are books of poetry. There's at least one book of erotic poetry meant to be recited at weddings. What is the Uh, difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? The Old Testament... What is the Old Testament and what is the New Testament? The Old Testament is uh, the largest collection of books that cover all the subjects I just mentioned. And there's a lot of history in it. The New Testament is specifically the story of Jesus in the early church and then letters that are written by the early apostles to these churches in far-flung parts of the Roman Empire, uh, giving them advice about how to form this new religion. The Torah and the Uh, Old Testament. Yes, the Torah is the first of five books, the books of Moses. Great, that's interesting. I I knew that they were in some way related, but Mm. I didn't know exactly how, so thank you for that. So those are the... The Old Testament is the books of the Jewish people. Right. And the New Testament is Christ. Well, yeah. The, Christ the, plus. See, that's, that's, that's another odd one because the books of the New Testament are also Jewish books. But right. But it's about the, the difference was that Christianity evangelicalized to the entire world, whereas the Hebrew scriptures are keeping to the story of the Hebrew people. Okay. And so... When I began asking this question about people, what do they think of the Bible? Some people honestly thought it was like the story of God, which it isn't. It's the story of the Hebrew people. Right. And it even starts before that with Adam and Eve and then... God makes cameos. Right. He appears in a burning bush and whatnot. Right. It's really... The story of the Hebrew people really begins with Abraham and it goes before that with Noah and these other characters. So it's a history book. It's predominantly history. And then, as I said, there's books of poetry. There's one book that might be largely metaphorical. We're not sure exactly what the context of the book of Job is. For the books of the Bible that are named for people, Uh are those named for the writers of the book? No, not necessarily. (laughs) Some of them are? Some of them are. Some of the books are narrated in the first person. A great many of them aren't. And so on the surface of it, you can accept that this person, I went and I gave this prophecy and I saw and the Lord spoke to me in this year. And you'll have that from some of the prophets themselves will write down their own books or dictate them like Jeremiah did to somebody who wrote it for him. But then there are books that are written long after the history actually took place. Now, within the pages of a Bible, if I just picked up a Bible, Uh would it tell me that history? Like, would it tell me that Jeremiah dictated this to somebody? It might say that in the opening of the text. It depends on who edited the Bible or who's producing it. And that's one thing that makes it important to remember that when you get a Bible, sometimes a translation will be promoting a certain church's particular point of view. When you say a, specific, a certain church, I think building, but oh, no, you no, no, no. mean I'm like talking about the, the body of the church, right? Methodists, Catholics, okay. for instance, have more books than Protestants do. The African Orthodox has books that no one else accepts, but they accept themselves, like the Book of Enoch, which is a weird book. Do you consider the Book of Mormon a Bible? Um, no, I don't. And I think only Mormons do. The Bible was largely edited uh, by scholars 
putting together the oldest possible text. And then, and, and again, this is the reason why the conceit of a lot of fundamentalist churches that the Bible is infallible and unchangeable is questionable because the Bible was edited by people who felt led to choose some books over others, some books that were consistent, leave out other books that were inconsistent. Like the Gnostic texts that show up much later after the Bible is almost a closed subject add all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the actual scriptural teachings. And so it was so far different and sometimes blasphemous that they just decided, no, we can't include these. Effectively, when we're going to make a claim that something is the exclusive word of God, then it really shouldn't have been something that's basically interpreted by a group of other people or written down or translated from any number of languages. That claim can't be sustained. If you go into a bookstore today, there Mm -hmm. are numerous versions of the Bible. There are different translations of the original Uh text, right? right? Each of these are different translations. So it's not like this one has doesn't have certain books in it or this one doesn't have necessarily. It may just be the people who physically translated the text, which would have been in Hebrew. Uh-huh. Well, it's Aramaic, a Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Like the big f- sort of ones are like the King James, mm-hmm. the New King James, the New International, the English Standard, Standard. Yeah. For translations like that, uh-huh. for sort of uh, audience-specific translations, are they going back to the original text? Not all cases. Or are they picking up the King James and? adjusting it they're adjusting it or they're they're going because the king james wasn't the first english bible who was king james what's king james's deal he was an english king who wanted to separate his church from catholic heresies as they felt so henry the eighth split the anglican church off of the catholic church uh-huh. Uh, so that he could start divorcing women and stop beheading them. Right. So this is a. Uh, it was started in 1604 and was completed in 1611. And he wanted to make an Anglican Bible. Okay. So it was specifically made to make a Bible for the Church of England as opposed to the the, the Catholic Bibles. And there were early translations that were printed in English that didn't get very far because they had Catholic roots to it. The the, the translators did. So he wanted to get the a diligent revision of scriptures and put together one that would be the basis for what the Anglican Church would be going forward. And it would be in English? It would be in English. Which is a stark difference. That is one thing I know about. The Catholic right. Church wants the whole thing to be in Latin, right. so you as a person get your information not from the book itself, but from the priest. But from the priest. Now, there's two things that, and the, the concept that we'll introduce here is when Martin Luther broke from the Catholic Church, he had a concept that's uh, called sola scriptura, Right. Only scripture? Only scripture. Everything that you get from the Bible is gotten exclusively from the Bible. It's not based on the interpretation of priests. It's not based on the interpretation of other governing bodies of the church who are telling you this is what it says. You don't have to read it yourself. That's going to be tough because I'm already not reading the original text. Right, exactly. I cannot read Greek, so I need to read what this kind gentleman hundreds and thousands of years ago translated for me. Right. And so that's where the issue comes into it. It's like, well, you can't really say that 
that should be the basis for all teachings. The Catholic Church and some of the high church, uh, other high church, um, believe that there's sacred traditions, there's reason. They actually include reason as one of the things the Methodists do are included as one of the things that you should have as a part of a spiritual life. Okay. And so, so not just blindly believing the words right. in a book. Right, exactly. But to use the brain that God gave you. I'm just and this saying. is a concept called prima scriptura. Scripture so first? Scripture first. Prima scriptura is the notion that it's first and above all the Bible. You can use it, but it still has to be tempered by gifts, insight, conscience, and common sense. Hey, common sense. Right. So the, that they're saying, okay, there's the scripture, but you also have to understand it. You, and the, the, So the Catholic Church has, as it does, this very colored history. On the one hand, the scripture is being controlled by people who are telling you this is what it says, and now you have to believe it. So there was all sorts of things that weren't part of the Bible that people were taking to be the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Whereas it was a good thing to break away from that necessarily because you were believing what people told you it said rather than you reading it yourself. Right. Well, at this time, too, a lot of people were not literate. Right. And that's why... Even if it was in a language that they could read. When we went to the... uh, We took a trip to the oldest church in San Francisco, if you remember. Yes. Uh, And we're looking at these beautiful stained glass windows. The mission of the mission mission. district. (laughs) And so as we're wandering around, we're looking at the pictures, I said, it's beautiful how the stained glass windows themselves have an entire, essentially devoted to entire books of the Bible. Right. And so you could sit there, and if you were familiar with it, interpret all the symbols in this window. Mm -hmm. And so for a person, for a priest or something, who is speaking to a mostly non, you know, I don't want to say illiterate, because that makes it sound like... Well, illiterate, not in a... We're not... Not, not as a, a pejorative. Not we're as a pejorative. These are people right. who did not learn to read right. because they were busy farming so they didn't die. <laughs> exactly. So, Sorry, kids. I'm sure you'd rather be in a one-room classroom with nine other people, right. but I'm going to need you in the field cutting that wheat because well, we have taxes. So people would look at the picture and he could explain everything from the stained glass painting itself. The difference is like in anything that needs to be interpreted by another class of people, you're really relying on that class of people who's interpreting it not to be corrupt. Right. And an issue with this, mm-hmm. we're going to go into probably at, over the course of the show, many issues with the clergy. Uh-huh. But an issue with this, too, is uh, a priest is installed in a church uh-huh. by the higher-ups. Right. And that's the extent of their oversight. Yeah. Basically. So- I mean, if... If complaints are lodged, then maybe not. But the priest is the end-all, be-all in a parish, is my understanding. I mean, there are bishops, but right. nobody's coming to the priest well, they every come week. Occasionally, not every no, no. <laughs> to so, see that they're not abusing so their to power. Discuss what the problems are with these two points of view. So it's like the idea behind sola scriptura, which is really embraced by evangelicals, is that the Bible is everything you ever need to know. They sometimes do like a magic eight ball situation with the Bible, don't they? Oh, yes. Isn't that it a used thing? To be. It used to be that... Where if you're really struggling with a question, you just you like... open up the Bible and you point a verse and that'll tell you. Wow. But, yeah, this is a really... <laughs> this but is witchcraft? Not... <laughs> Definitely burn her. Uh, Prima Scriptura opens you up to common sense. It opens you up to other things. You can specifically have a divine revelation. At the same time, tempering that saying, if I believe I've seen God... 
I'm going to test it against the scripture because primarily revelation comes through scripture. So if I see God and God tells me kill them all, I go to, and I look at the scripture and it says God doesn't say kill them all, then therefore don't kill them all. Weirdly, he's never said that to anyone no. before. So, so I probably need to go right. to a doctor. So then what we have, the second thing that we have with the Sola Scriptura is it actually sounds like a good idea. Okay, the person who's interpreting the scripture for you is going to color it with their own opinions and points of view. Of course. So you should be able to read it for yourself. The flaw is that people then interpret it any way that they want to. Yes. So it, it winds up, there's two points of view. And let's talk about the language since we're talking about interpreting. Right. And this is a, something that the Catholic Church has a large debate with the Protestant Church about, which is no one in the Scripture ever says, sola scriptura, this is the only standard of truth. Because they weren't aware that they were writing the Scripture. Paul is writing letters to Corinthians, to Philippians, to all these churches that he visited and some of which he started. He never at any point says, this is the only thing you ever have to believe. Oh, so there's just a section of there's, letters in there. Right, it's just a section of letters. But the thing is, at no point in the Scripture does anyone make the, the proclamation, all of the Scripture, which they didn't know was being edited into a book, is the infallible Word of God. No one ever says that. Jesus will say, as the Scripture says, and then say something that doesn't appear in our Scripture. And St. Uh -huh. Paul does, does it too. And so one of the great arguments for not, you know, going with a sola scriptura idea is that there are obviously books that we've lost over history that aren't there anymore. So are we saying those books get excluded if they get found? I mean, archaeology is a living process. People find things all the time. Right. One of the reasons why... And if they were on papyrus, right. it's possible that that's it. It's yeah, never going to be found. It's never going to be found. And so the reason why I fell on the side of, like, Prima Scriptura, if we're going to choose a side between the two, was I believe that a good deal of it could be true. And when you look at the New Testament, it's, it's a historical thing that happened in the historical time. The people who are um, writing the New Testament are writing in the living memory of the people who experienced it. It's not like whoever wrote the books of Moses actually remember Adam and Eve. Right. So the difference between what happens in the Old Testament and the New is the New Testament was written because there was Jesus, there was his teachings, there was his death, and whatever mysterious things happened afterwards, I believe it one way, you believe it another. But the Jesus was preaching about the end of the world at times. Now we know this to be what later on happened with the fall of Jerusalem. So there were people there who were listening to Jesus saying, this is all going to end, the temple's going to be torn down. He wasn't talking about the end of the entire world, the end the of The end world. of the world as you know it. Right. And it did happen within the lifetime of the people who were sitting there. The end of the world as humanity has known it has happened repeatedly. Right. It happens yeah. a lot. So when Jesus, I would argue that right now we're living through another, another cycle, of cycle of it. So when Jesus is telling people this... Um, after Jesus, we're left with the disciples and apostles, or the apostles rather, who are going around saying what Jesus said. Now, if you were an early Christian, it would be like this. We would go to a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. Mm -hmm. or sometimes there aren't we, anything but right, Jewish synagogues. Right. But That's I want to what point out are. a Jewish synagogue, yes. so we don't say you know it was different. Occasionally, you would meet in people's houses. The synagogue was hostile. Women, women's houses, women's typically. Houses, it was it, the early, early church was kept alive by, by women. women, by widows mostly. Um, 
And so you would be, so it would be either a friendly synagogue or a sympathetic one or a, um, a person's house. And what would happen is that somebody in the congregation would go, and now Mary, come up and tell us what, what Jesus said to you. And she'd come up and just tell you the whole story. And then he said this to me. And then he said that to me. And these people were like celebrities in the early church. They would just, they would go to church services. You go along with one of your people who met Jesus and he'll, he'll say Now, when you like, say Mary, you mean Magdalene? It could be Mary Magdalene. It could be any number of Mommy Marys. Mary. There's the Mary, Mommy Mary. There was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. So okay. they would come up. Mary? Coming and in. apparently Lazarus was a popular guy to have around too. It's like that guy. So he Whoa, went, yeah, he straight up rose from the dead, y'all. He has a great story. If you can get him at your party, <laughs> get him at your party. So people would come up and just tell these stories. What began to happen is that there was persecutions, both by the, the Jewish church and then later by the Romans, and sometimes by both, where these people were being killed and executed. So then somebody had the idea of, well, start writing their stories down because we're losing them. Okay. And that's where the New Testament comes from. Okay. It's because somebody's like, well, Peter's about to die. There's this friend of uh, Paul, this young guy named John Mark. He writes the Gospel of Mark. Not all of it even survived. Parts of it are missing. But he wrote down things that Peter told him. Okay. Because so, whereas the Old Testament is stretches this huge span of history, and some of it is metaphorical and whatever, what was um, different about it was this was like, religious history in modern news, which is why it had such a big impact, because okay. it wasn't something that happened hundreds, thousands of years ago. All right, so that's the Bible. So why shouldn't we teach that in schools? The reason why is, again, goes back to the prima scriptura and sola scriptura. Do you want a person who's not qualified teaching the Bible and bling the emphasis on whatever they want to? Do you want a person teaching the Bible and it comes up with an interpretation that uh, advocates violence? You know, go back to when uh, Joshua was cleaning out the Philistines or whoever, not the Philistines, that would be David. And then we'll use this as a saying, God is giving the excuse here for violence in a holy war. It can so be, basically preaching jihad in the schools. You can. I mean. You can do that. If you're going to be very selective with what you find, you can preach. Well, here it says that these people were troubling the people of Israel, so we took up arms and we stopped them. Yeah. So no, the thing that's is that, not maybe a thing that right. some people should be saying to some other people. And what we hit on earlier, the whole idea of the handmaid. Okay, what if yeah. somebody puts an emphasis on that? Well, it's your responsibility as a woman to be submissive. Because look, And Abraham, your entire worth right. is your womb. Congratulations. Abraham and Sarah could not have children. He's the father of the, of the Jewish nation. And he had to take a handmaid because... And of course, that wound up being disastrous for everybody. But you can use, you can use the scripture because it's historical. You can use a historical example to bend things in the direction of what you want to say, mm -hmm. which is what's been happening for a very long time now, mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. And because of that, it's like, okay, you can go with the, the idea that somebody has to interpret it for you, but then who's interpreting it for you? And what is their point of view? Right. You can go with the route of reading it all yourself, the solo scriptura, but then at the same time, what if you start developing ideas that are wrong about it, and then that's, what do you get from it? The, what if the Bible's telling me to do this? The Bible's telling me to do that? Right. You have to balance it. I really approve of the whole idea that you have to balance it according to reason and common sense and other things. But also having a qualified guide. Right, an opinion. And that's not going to happen when everyone hurt. Right. is teaching the way that they want you to hear it. Because primarily what we're getting is a very conservative uh, um 
the movement to start it again, Bible education in schools is a kind of a conservative movement. Right. And it's likely that you're going to get more fanatical people right. applying for that role. Yes. Like, it won't just be you've got an extra, um, well, some might be you've got an extra period you're going to teach this class, right? math teacher, which is bad on its own face if she has right. no experience with or it. Or interest in it, then you're just um, sort of making it dull. And then the opposite problem might be the people that are very eager uh, to get in there and get right. their point of view their across. point of view, their interpretation, their belief, there are... Um, yeah. Now, now, is that to say that the Bible should not be in school? No, I think... Uh, here's the strange thing. You and I, mm-hmm. English literature, or English took, language literature, right? I took a class in college called The Bible as Literature. When you are reading any literature written from 100 years ago on backward, and even now, but more so then, there was a an acceptance of biblical literacy, even if you didn't necessarily believe. Absolutely. To understand much of, especially like the Irish canon, there are biblical references. James Joyce is packed Uh, with biblical references. Right. James Joyce is packed with all kinds of references. That's another story. But if you don't have a baseline biblical knowledge a lot of that is going to go right over your head. Right. I mean, You're just not going to be able to understand even, the texture reading. Even secular authors, people who were not, people who believed in the Bible, for instance, Edgar Allan Poe is making references to it. No, yeah, these are, are stories that right. are ingrained in our culture. Uh-huh. If you've if seen The Matrix. Yes. If you've seen the recent Godzilla. <laughs> yes. You're seeing the life of Christ. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Shape of Water. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Okay, so the thing is that the, this story echoes... But once again, we're talking about a historical... A, mm-hmm. a book about the historical Jesus mm-hmm. and their belief that he is the Son of God and mm-hmm. his statement. He Does Does he say ever say, I'm N- the Son of God? Not in the way that people take it for. He's actually very cagey about it a lot of times. He does it during his lifetime and then... Uh, right when they're taking him to a cross, because why not? We're not. I'm not denigrating the scripture in any way, but the scripture means both more and in some ways less than you want it to mean. And I think that the idea that we're going by this or we're teaching that to people, it's irresponsible putting it in the hands of people who you don't know how they're going to teach it, don't know how they're going to share it, don't know how they're going to emphasize it. So if the Bible were to be taught in schools... Mm-hmm. In public schools, there would need to be a universal curriculum. Exactly. Which then really defeats that division of church and state. Right. Because the the, the state would have to institute a curriculum that the schools would have to stick to so that it wasn't being used as a tool. Mm Mm-hmm. Essentially, to create a governmental religion. And then we've really decimated that church and so, state line. I'll tell you a story. A short awesome. One. 
Jesus. I've heard of him. Yes. Great guy. He is uh, constantly being provoked by the teachers of the law inside the, the, the synagogue who are trying to get him to commit to ideas because there's two major groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees are existentialists who follow the law. The Pharisees believe in an afterlife, so he's closer to them because he preaches about an afterlife. But both groups basically control religion for the people. They, you bring them a cow, they sacrifice it for your sins. You, you know, want the scripture interpreted, you go to them. So here's this young rabbi wandering around just saying the strangest things, right? So they're constantly trying to get him to trip him up. One of them comes up to him and says, is it lawful to pay tax or not? We're an occupied country. We're paying tax to the Romans. Right. What they're trying to do is like, well, get the Romans to take care of him. He says, don't pay taxes. The Romans will arrest him. And then he's, where hands are, are clear or clean from this guy. And so Jesus takes, uh, says, give me a Roman coin. And so they hand him a Roman coin. And there's an image on the Roman coin of Caesar. It says, give Caesar the things that belong to him and give God the things that belong to him. He's just separated church and state. This is the state. This is the church. They are not coming together. This is something that he instituted, Jesus. Yes, that Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the founder of the Christian church to us, right? So the notion of undoing Jesus's work to honor him is idiotic. There's a reason why we have it separate. Jesus grew up in a metropolitan area there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Jews, there were other races of people there. You don't force other people to learn your scriptures. That's not going to encourage them to want to be curious about God or to love God at all if you're forcing it down their throats. And we were built on a sad sack group of Puritans who were terrible right. at parties. And they were put upon by the people of other faiths around right. them. They weren't allowed to be as uptight as they wanted to be, so they came here and evolved into just, we're not going to, the, the state will not dictate the church that its pe people go to. Right. And y'all, that goes both ways. Right. It's not going to make you be Christian, and it also can't keep you from being Christian. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Nothing it's stopping not a you from reading the Bible. on Christianity. It's, it can't stop you from being mm -hmm. Christian. It also can't stop you from being Quaker or Muslim or Jewish. Or Buddhist. Or Buddhist or Hindu right. or any of these other things. You can have whatever religion you want. Provided you are not poisoning Kool-Aid and then forcing people to drink exactly. it. Exactly. Let's not be a cult leader. Let's not. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's it's a complicated issue, but I think it has a very simple answer: is that we're not we're going to just reduce the quality of biblical teaching if we give it to anybody to do. And it's not like there aren't places in every community exactly. to go read the Bible. And you can choose Sola or, or, or Prima Scriptura. You can have anything you want. It's a smorgasbord, right? You can go anywhere you want to learn any of these things. And you don't have to go to a school to do it. I don't know why that would... see. Also, uh -huh. our education system is deteriorating. Right. We already are not teaching the kids everything that they need to be learning, taking a period out of the day 
for the Bible doesn't seem like the wisest move when we could be teaching financial literacy, for instance. Here's how to mm. not go into debt, balance your checkbook, here's what taxes are, all of this stuff. This is not taught in school, and this is the stuff that actually is needed right. well, by every American. And again, the, going back to the earlier point, if you want to learn about the Bible, there are lots of churches yeah. you can go to. This is not where you should, when you have this time for school, you're supposed to be preparing people for life later on. The church will give you a good moral background. This is not what you need in school. What you need to learn is how to read and write. Okay, you need to learn how the to three add. three R's, reading, right. writing, and arithmetic. That's okay, maybe where the <laughs> educational system went wrong. The, the, the fact that in the proposal that you mentioned earlier, yes. that creationism is included. This that is tells me a, that there's a political direction. Yes, that's absolutely what what's happening. I don't think the, the Catholics are not on board. Evolution in the 1950s, like they couldn't, like, and they didn't. That was only after they already announced several times, like, no, no, reason and common sense applied to your scripture. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was a minister who taught that okay, that war in heaven, like you read in Paradise Lost. Angels, evil angels, fell onto the newly created earth and possessed the animals, and that's what made dinosaurs. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> this is what he was teaching. And so I'm looking at him, and my mom is looking at me like, what? <laughs> she, because then she's like looking suspiciously at all these dinosaur books I have on the wall. That's not even in Paradise Lost. No, it's not. That was, it's not. That's... Nowhere. In a fever dream that that person had <laughs> right. at some point. That's incredible. Yeah, that's the kind of weird looniness that you can get sometimes when people... And again, when people, all their knowledge comes only from the scripture and there's nobody guiding them through it. They're just, well, this is the idea that I had. It's new spiritual and revelation. Yeah, if, and, and it's bonkers. If all of if if they want to look at the Bible as the answers to everything, mm. they're going to be stuck. Right. Because the Bible doesn't have answers to everything. Because that's not what the Bible was written for. Well, the Bible was written, and we can look at this as if... Again, it's the history of a people. Right. Me as a Christian looking and at... And then a history of a man. Right. Thank you for listening this week. If you have questions you would like answered, please send us an email or a voice memo to withoutworkspod at gmail.com. We would like to include the audience as much as possible. We can be found on Facebook at Without Works Podcast. We're on Twitter at Without Works Pod. And we're working on making transcripts for the show available. We think the best way to do that will be a Tumblr, and we'll announce on the Facebook page when that's available. I've been Amity. He's been Lemuel. And we remind you to get out there and do something good. Everybody's got a little light under the sun, under the sun, under the sun.